only yesterday I posted on LinkedIn, I said property has to be one of the most inefficient assets anybody could ever hold, certainly in the UK. Let's at least do some basic steps. Make sure we've done the will. Make sure we've gifted assets, we've got a life policy, or you know, we're thinking about this sort of stuff. Let's at least engage on the subject. Death is a certainty. People are concerned about making a will to start with. They see it as some kind of jinx on their life. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Now, today's podcast is all about learning, okay? If you're British or you've got any form of assets in the UK, you might be subject to the something called inheritance tax. And that is a tax that 23,000 people paid in the UK last year but didn't have to. Now, on average, they paid £290,000, which is staggering when you think about it. And again, all avoidable. Today's guest is Colton Crabb. He's an expert in understanding how we mitigate our inheritance tax liabilities and how we're smarter with our tax planning. So cue the music, get a notepad ready, make some notes if you're British or you have assets in the UK, because this will be really valuable for you. Megaverse, the digital frontier of tomorrow. Megaverse stands at the cutting edge intersection of technology and imagination. It's a virtual realm where the limitless expanse of the digital universe unfolds, offering users unparalleled experiences and interactions. With its advanced Metaverse platform, users can craft unique avatars, forge connections, and even establish their own digital estates. It's more than just virtual reality. Megaverse is an expansive digital civilization teeming with opportunities for both individuals and brands. From immersive concerts to revolutionary retail experiences, Megaverse is redefining the way we engage with the digital world. As we stand on the brink of a new era where the lines between our physical reality and the digital realm blur, Megaverse is poised to lead the charge in this brave new world. Dive in and discover a universe without bounds. This really is the future. And lastly, thank you to Najahi Events, who have been sponsoring us now on the podcast for over a year. Najahi bring motivational speakers to the region to help inspire, educate, and motivate you to achieve better success and live a better life. Colton Crabb is here on the podcast today. Thank you so much for coming to join us. Thanks very much, Spencer. Um, good to be here and uh, always good to see you. Have you done many podcasts before? Uh, no, just one so far. Um, my only other exposure to podcasts is a good friend of mine does has just completed his fifth, 500th even episode. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Okay, so for all everyone's listening and watching right now, lots of positive encouragement, please, okay? When we, when we finish this episode, okay, lots of comments to Carlton saying what a great job he did. I'm sure he'll like the encouragement. Okay, explain to everybody in really simple terms what you do and why you do it. So I'm the CEO of Capital Flife, and it's a company I set up seven years ago. Um, in the Middle East, which is where um, obviously you used to live and uh, I used to live. Um, I saw an opportunity in the market to basically do really high value life insurance, um, which was something I was doing at a bank at the time. And I saw a market to help financial advisors uh, and wealth managers um, with that type of solution and with that type of product. Um, and in essence, I teach advisors how to use it. I help them uh, show clients how it can be helpful to them. 
Um, it's really around either increasing wealth or mitigating inheritance tax or wealth tax, depending on which part of the world they live in. Um, and also, we use it for things like retirement income. So in essence, it's a financial services uh, company. Now, last year, 23,000 people paid an average of £290,000 in inheritance tax, which essentially is billions and billions of pounds paid out. And they didn't need to. So for me, what's fascinating about what you do is that the vast majority of the public don't understand what rules apply to them, what products can solve problems that they have, and that they can pass money down to their family uh, through their estate and avoid all inheritance tax liabilities. So my first question is, why do you think most people are so ignorant to this type of stuff? What is, what is causing that? I think there are, like most things, there's a number of answers to that. And I think one of them, which I have come across, is um, people are concerned about making a will to start with. Um, they see it as some kind of jinx on their life. Um, I have a very close family member who didn't make a will because she felt that that would in some way um, you know, bring an end to her life. It, it, it's, it's literally down to that in some cases. In other really? Ca really? Really. Really. Never heard that before. My mother. So it was a first-hand experience. So, uh, and then, of course, you're leaving potentially the family in problems of, you know, probate, certainly in the United Kingdom anyway. And then the other things, of course, are, you know, mistrust of financial advisors um, or not feeling informed and not being able to make a decision because they don't understand something, perhaps because they, they either haven't taken financial advice or um, they, you know, they read something in the newspaper, but they're not quite sure how to execute it. But I think your overall point is is correct. There's lots of inheritance tax, particularly in the UK, that doesn't need to be paid. Although, just to, just to you know, I know there's lots lots of listeners. I don't. I'm not adverse to paying some inheritance tax, but certainly, I think inheritance tax in the UK is way too low. If you compare it to America, the uh, the allowance is nearer 13 million US dollars than when you consider uh, our inheritance tax uh, liability is starts at £325,000 plus plus some allowances. It's uh, it's pitifully low, and I think it's it, I think I think it's wrong. It's interesting that you say that. Okay, let's break that down because I want everyone to understand and be really clear what we're talking about here. So, some people don't think inheritance tax applies to them. Okay, and some people do. Now, typically, if you're British and you're a British passport holder and you have nothing but a British passport, do you have an inheritance tax liability? Yes. Okay. And if you're a British passport holder and you have property outside of the United Kingdom in any jurisdiction, let's take Dubai as an example, okay, does inheritance tax apply to those people? Yes, it does. No, surely not, Carlton. People think their assets overseas have no inheritance tax liability. So any Brit or any person that has a British passport, regardless of what, where else they're from, has an inheritance tax liability. Is that correct? It's highly likely, uh, Spencer. Ultimately, it comes down to are they a UK domicile, which basically normally means um, have they, has their father, is their father British? Uh, were they born in Britain? Um, which is quite a strong indicator as well. Uh, and the reality is that most people are UK domicile individuals. In other words, they're British, they've got British passports. And without trying to complicate it, but it does need caveating, like most things in financial services, um, you can also become deemed domicile, um, which is you know, typically 15 out of 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, if someone moves to the UK and spends, let's say, the rest of their life here, or at least 15 years, 
then they become treated as a UK domicile. So then their entire worldwide estate, whether that property is in Dubai or France or wherever it may be, will then be subject to UK inheritance tax as well. So their their entire estate comes in just like a, a if you like an original UK domicile. Okay, so let's take that example. So an Indian, okay, whose mum and dad are from India, um, that that moved to the UK when they were in, when they were young, lived in the UK most of their life. Dad's domicile essentially would be India. In, in India, there's no inheritance tax. So the assumption by lots of these people is I won't have any inheritance tax to pay because my dad's from India. I moved to the UK when I was younger. It doesn't apply to me. They're wrong, though. Is that correct? Yeah, in, 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 on those basic facts that that would be incorrect. Um, if they'd been brought up in, in the UK, still living in the UK, been here at least 15 years and probably intended to stay here, yes, they would be subject to inheritance tax at 40% on their worldwide wealth above that £325,000 that we talked about earlier. And what about if they'd gone to live in Dubai? Well, then it get, it potentially starts to get complicated because you can break your uh, domicile, if you like, and then you can have a domicile of choice. So maybe uh, at that point they say, we're actually cutting all of our ties with the United Kingdom um, and we're going to go and live for the rest of our lives overseas in somewhere like Dubai, uh, at which point a, a perhaps a different tax pattern starts to emerge. However, <laughs> here comes the other caveat, any UK Citus assets, um, whether it's a UK domicile uh, or any other individual, so there are lots of examples um, in the Middle East of wealthy Emiratis and Saudi nationals who own property in the UK, well, that's all subject to UK inheritance tax, even though they don't live in the UK and they're not even UK domicile as well. So in broad terms, UK Citus or UK situated assets are subject to 40% inheritance tax. So any anyone like that, any anybody from overseas that has property in the UK, when they get old, should be looking at selling that property and getting rid of it. Otherwise, there'll be an inheritance tax liability on that asset. Is that correct? Potentially, yeah. I mean, yeah. it depends if you like property as an asset class, right? Yeah, but you're getting old, you're in your 70s, you know, you've got all this property, there's going to be a 40% tax liability on it, on, on most of the value of it. So it wouldn't make any sense to keep it, would it? I, I, I think that's right. Um, but I, I only yesterday I posted on LinkedIn, I said property has to be one of the most inefficient assets anybody could ever hold, certainly in the UK. You pay stamp duty on the way in, uh, you pay um, inheritance tax upon death, which is the you know the subject we're talking about at the minute. Um, there's potentially capital gains tax on any gain, even if you're a non-resident. Um, if you've got a mortgage on it, there's uh, you know there's interest to pay on that mortgage as well. You know it goes on, and then obviously if you're renting it out, there's income tax. I'm not quite sure why people are so um, avid about pop property. It's probably because you can see, touch, and feel it, and see that it goes up in value. The reality is most people have a mortgage on property. Therefore, you've got gearing. Therefore, you've got interest. And you know, if you take, if you borrowed ninety percent of any amount of money, um, like a mortgage, then most assets would go up over the long term. But property is hugely inefficient. But if you buy in Dubai, surely there's a different argument for that. There probably is a different argument for that. And it's not subject to the same amount of taxes, not subject to stamp duty, even though there's a four percent fee when you when you buy, um, when you exit, there's no capital gains tax liability on it. Is that, or no, you would have a capital gains tax liability if you're a UK resident. Yes, if you're a UK resident. But if you're not if you're a UK on... resident, you're living overseas, then that doesn't apply. Okay. Sure. So most people don't get the advice that they need because they have a fear for a financial advisor or there's lethargy around it. But 
inheritance tax is clearly something that's going to hit everybody. You've got £325,000 as a threshold. So let's just break it down really simply for everybody because there'll be people listening going, what are they going on about? <laughs> so if you have an estate, and let's say your estate is worth £1 million, okay? If, if you're a single person, it's £325,000, which is essentially tax-free. So there's no tax on the first three twenty-five. There's a 40% tax liability on anything over three hundred and twenty-five when you pass that money down the family line. Now, if you're married, you're a husband and wife couple, your allowance is double, so that's £650,000. That six hundred and fifty thousand. is tax-free. Anything after that essentially is taxed at 40%. So a lot of people will think, doesn't apply to me, but most people nowadays might even have a house that's worth a million pounds before they think about anything else, their pensions and other assets they have. But also don't think about where you are today. You might be in your 40s today. What are you going to be worth when you're in your 60s? What about you guys out there that are building companies and successful entrepreneurs? What about the people that are out there that have built, you know, been, been entrepreneurs within businesses and helped them grow and you've got equity in that business or you're getting stock options for over years and years and years and you're holding on to them? What about your stock portfolio? All of that is liable to an inheritance tax liability. So what I want people to understand is what the process is, because I think they're quite naive to that. So somebody dies. How does it work in real terms? If somebody dies, how is inheritance tax actually paid? So there's obviously a process to go through, which is what you're alluding to. Um, and in the United Kingdom, it's probate. So the first thing, back to the point I was mentioning earlier, it's, a, it's so important that people have a will. Um, and if there's a husband and wife or, or partnership, um, then they should definitely have wills and, and understand whether money is left from one to the other. Um, because you'll, you will know um, in the UK, if you have, a, let's say, a husband and wife or a common law partnership, then assets can pass freely from one to the other, even upon um, the first one's passing or death. So that's important to kind of get that sorted out to start with. Um, next up is thinking around how to, you know, gift some of those assets a, a, away. So before death is really where I'm focusing at the moment is if, uh, obviously, it's very hard to know when we're going to pass away, right? Unless we have some uh, dreaded, you know, dreaded critical illness. But if we're in pretty good health, and we have more than enough um, assets to live on, then ideally, we should be gifting some of those assets away to, you know, perhaps other members of the family or, you know, even charitable giving, etc. So there's a whole bunch of things we can do to, to, to get rid of our estate, if you like, so to minimize the inheritance tax burden. But coming back to the point uh, upon passing, obviously, you go through probate. Um, and at some point, inheritance tax will be payable. So if you just have, let's say, the surviving spouse left, um, inheritance tax will be chargeable on the rest of it above that. Um, in blunt terms, death certificate goes in, um, and the assets are totaled up, the will is looked at, and at that point, a calculation is made. Um, uh, HMRC will look at that, and then a certain amount of money is payable. That's payable within six months, otherwise there's interest chargeable. Okay, but let's just talk about how, how it's paid, because, so, I'm married, I'm married, I have two daughters, so let's just go through that again because we want to cut that bit. So I'm married, I have two daughters, so my wife Anna is younger than I am, my kids are obviously, you met one of them just now. So I pass away, I'm 65 years old, let's just say I pass away for whatever reason. 
Okay, everybody's sad. There's been a funeral that's taken place. Maybe some people are happy because I've lost the word. Maybe they are, who knows? Um, but let's assume everyone's sad. So my wife goes through the process. She, she then, she then she's sitting there. She doesn't know what to do. She, she knows that there's some paperwork. She knows there's a will because she's been told about it. And so then she calls the solicitor who's been appointed as the settler or whatever it is on, uh, on any estate we have. And we sits down. She's very sad, you know. The kids are sad. They've just lost their dad. What's what's going to be told? What are they going to be told? They're going to be told probate's going to take place. And what's going to happen during probate? And how long is probate going to last? It's going to last a year, six months. You know, I live overseas. I've got assets in different countries. What's the process going to be? Because she has no access to any money right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a, and that's a real problem that you're you're outlining. You know, understanding each other's assets is is one of the things I do come across. You you see husbands and wife. Uh, don't talk about their assets. And that can be both ways around. Um, traditionally, not always, but traditionally, the man in the relationship is control the purse strings. That's a historic thing and a generic thing. Um, and the the wife uh, and the mother, often of the children, doesn't really understand you know, how much assets they've got. So the most important thing is is listing out all of those assets. Where is the wealth? Is it over, in overseas property, whether it's Dubai or elsewhere? Um uh, you know, right down to things like jewelry, art, um, uh, you know, things like things like that as well. So, what my so, watch is, my 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 jewelry, my yes. my 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 medallion that I used to have on my hairy chest when I was young. Every every piece of jewelry that I've got is subject to inheritance tax. Potentially, yes, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, well, it is. I mean, whether it's worth anything is a different matter. Okay, the medallion yeah. may not be worth much. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't even, do you know, I don't know what I was thinking there. I was thinking about, I don't even have a hairy chest. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't wear jewellery, as you can see. Um, so any jewellery I have, any fine art, what about a, a collection of wine that I might have? Yes, uh, everything comes in. Everything comes into play at this point. Okay. Um, and at that point, you just need a big list of the assets. And so there's then there's a value put on those watches because there's a, there's a lot of people that talk about watches not being subject to inheritance tax. Uh, I, I think they are. Um, maybe there's another expert that thinks they're not, but I think that it's, it's all of your assets. Um, no, no, no. But I was told under I, I was assured by a watch dealer that um, you know is it who's clearly not an inheritance tax specialist has told a few people that there's no inheritance tax on watches. So that this is where I think people get confused and stuff. So every single asset you've got, no matter what it is, no matter what it's worth, as long as it's worth something, it goes down to be worth something on your estate. That's right, yeah. Okay. It's, and it's it's the, the value at the date of death. So the assets that you own at the date of your death, those will be the, um, the, the if like the prices or the, the values that go down on that, um, on that probate form. Okay, so that probate form is then completed. What's my wife then to do? Um, apart from grieving, um, your your wife is then you know needs to that needs to be submitted. Um, HMRC make an assessment, and at that point, presumably the accountant and or solicitor, you know what the figure is of inheritance tax that's going to be payable. And at that point, you know someone's going to have to write a check for a you know potentially a serious amount of money. Um, one of the biggest issues I think in IHT is if most of the assets are tied up in property, so back to property. It's reasonably liquid, but it's not totally liquid because you have to put it on the market, sell it, um, wait for a buyer, you know, surveys and all the rest of it. So there is a time delay in that. But um, you, you do need to, if, if, if that property needs to, all those properties need to be sold to pay the IHT bill, that needs to be done. And that's something that many people also in the Middle East where we've both frequented don't understand. You know, there, there's, there's the 
in the real upper echelons, you know, there's the £10 million property um, and, you know, potentially £4 million will be subject to inheritance tax. Well, someone's got to find £4 million to pay that IHT bill before that property can be inherited. Now, that's a big example, but the, this, okay, so the this, principles... Okay, well, this, this is really important, though. So let's say there is that £10 million property, a dollar, whatever it may be. There's that, that £4 million that needs to be paid in tax. That would mean if, if some, one of the kids was inheriting the property, are they allowed to sell the property to get the £4 million together? No. The property can't move until the inheritance tax has been paid. So then what happens? How does, is, is, there, is there financiers that offer deals where they'll finance £4 million on the back of holding some of the asset? Yes, yeah, there, there, will, there will be deals you can do. So you could have some form of, of a variation of a bridging loan. Um, and of course, the other thing that might need to be paid off is the mortgage. So you've got, and of course, that can also offset the IHT, but let's not get too complicated. Um, but fundamentally, you need to provide liquidity or cash to be able to pay that bill. So you can borrow the money. Um, you can sell other things that you may have or may own. You can borrow the money, presumably from family or friends, potentially. Um, or you have to borrow some kind of financing from from somewhere that will take a, a charge, presumably, of the rest of your assets. So if people don't know what's going on, it could be a bit of a shit show. Yeah. It really could. Because yes. if, you, know, you, you, you take... Take me as an example. I've got I've got various assets that are you know, substantial. I've got businesses that I own that are substantial. Um, and you know, if I die, my wife wouldn't understand what to do with them, even though there's no inheritance tax passing across to her. But she, she could then pass down to the kids and be left with the you know the kids could be just left. What am I dealing with here? I know we don't want to overcomplicate it, but business assets are a different um, breed because maybe they qualify for business relief, which is a hundred percent exempt. Overseas as well? IHT, potentially. Okay. Depending on the nature of the business. So um, I know we don't want to complicate it, but it is worth mentioning. And that's why things like business relief and agricultural relief, um, now that I am mentioning it, are also very handy. What the government's not trying to do is it's not trying to penalize entrepreneurs and business owners like you and many of the listeners. It's not trying to penalize that because you can imagine if, you know, let's say your business was worth a large number, $10 million. And suddenly you passed and actually you you held all of the shares in that business. So you owned the entire value of the business. Well, that would be really difficult, wouldn't it? Because A, you are the business, um, in my example. Uh, and B, your wife would have to find, you know, $4 million if it wasn't qualifying for business relief. Or you'd have to fire sell the business or whatever it may be. You'd have to create some liquidity to be able to do it. What the government is is trying not to do is, is not make businesses fail because there's been a, a, a death. And the same, of course, for agricultural relief as well. Agricultural relief where people own large swathes of farmland in the UK. Um, as long as it's uh, qualifying, then that will also be exempt from UK inheritance tax. Okay. Let's just let's, let's go back and keep it simple. That, that person having to deal with the inheritance tax liability on an asset like a property has got to, still grieving, has got to go through all of the complicated mess of trying to organise bridging loans to be able to pay this debt off before the asset can be released. Correct. And then if there's a bunch of different properties, a real headache. So if there's a, you know, somebody's got a buy-to-let portfolio of 25 or 30 properties, then there's the headache that goes with all of that as well. There, there is. And if, if they're held, if you like, naked, um, without any structuring, yes. I mean, if you're holding 20 or 30 properties, 
Um, that's probably a different conversation with the tax advisor. Uh, and there's obviously some structures that you can put in place when you've got really big portfolios like that, um, which I won't get into now. But th there is ways in which you can mitigate um, inheritance tax um, potentially on the on on the large size of properties like that. Um, but yeah, fundamentally, you've got a liquidity or a cash problem. You've got to pay the inheritance tax um, before the property is released to the family for for their for the their use. You see, this is for me, Cotton. <clears throat> After being in financial services as long as I have, the the worrying thing. People aren't prepared. They don't understand. They don't understand the step-by-step -step process involved. They kind of bury their head in the sand. They don't think it's going to apply to them. They're also busy thinking they're going to live forever as well, so it's never going to apply to them or their family anytime soon. Um, one of my, well, my, my sister's brother died at the age of 47 from blood poisoning. Over the course of three weeks, we lost him for, you know, no reason at all, but he was gone. There are millions of examples of where people have died earlier than expected whether that be from illnesses or from accidents or you know just drop down dead one day for no reason at a young age nowadays we all think with the, the marketing and the propaganda that goes on with all of this biotechnology that we're going to live longer and longer you know and so dying you know when people die in their 70s they say oh he was so young you know they do they don't they mm, that's not they an do. old age to die you yeah. know you know, people people die at 95, they say, well, that was a reasonable innings. You know, you get that, That's yeah? right. You do, the, didn't you? <laughs> you just get yeah. that. You know, I remember my grandfather died, he died at 98. And it was just like, well, he had a, he had a good innings, you know? Yeah. But when you got people that die in their 70s, oh, that's so young. Yeah. But even so, people aren't addressing this issue. They're not focusing on understanding what liabilities their family have, okay, and how to avoid them. So let's take a couple of examples of, of, of structuring to help people understand how you can avoid inheritance tax. All right. So just to recap again, anything over £325,000 in the UK of all of your worldwide assets is taxed at 40%. So maybe we'll run a case study here. Um, so there's a guy, he's got assets that are worth, let's take that 10 million. No, let's take it a bit lower, 5 million as a figure. He's got assets of 5 million. That's a combination of property, um, a stock portfolio, stuff like that. Guy earns a decent amount of money. Maybe he's on three or four hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, he's probably got uh, cash in the bank of half a million dollars, and he's sitting there. And there's a potential tax liability on his assets. And I've said, I've said dollars. Let's keep it all in pounds. Ten million pounds. So, so let's keep five million pounds. Sorry, let's keep everything in pounds because I'm talking dollars, and it will confuse everyone. So. Five million pounds, I've got the stock portfolio, I've got the property, got the cash in the bank, got a decent salary. How do we go about starting the journey of, of, of planning for somebody with their in, inheritance tax and to mitigate it the best way? Okay, well, as you said, we'll, we'll try and keep it simple. The, yeah, first, the first thing is have husband and wife, we'll assume husband and wife, if that's okay. Yeah. We'll assume husband and wife, have husband and wife made a will each. Tick. Separate wills. Separate wills, mm -hmm. and what do those wills say? And and typically they're they're mirror wills. You know, one will re will reflect the other yep. traditionally. Um, so that's the first part. Second part, of course, is just you know, whilst we're exploring the topic, have they actually got anybody any beneficiaries to leave it to? Do they have children, mm -hmm. or do they have family members who they want to leave the money to? Or if they just want to leave it to charity, well, that's great because that'll you know that can pass the charity very efficiently. But let's we'll go back to. Uh, husband and wife um, both have got their wills in place. We'll assume for the purpose of this 
and then we're on to the next step. So next step is, have they got any, uh, have they put any trusts in place? Um, or have they made any gifts? Shall I go into this? Mm. Okay, so step one, um, we're assumed that they're getting on and getting older. So what what could we do? Well, I think the obvious step is the one I mentioned earlier, is they could start gifting assets to people they wanted to give assets to. Um, so there would be potentially exempt transfers. That's called a pet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as long as they survive seven years, that money will be outside of their estate. For example, um, the husband is 60 years old. Uh, he decides, him and his wife decide they're going to give £100,000 to one of their best friends. Great, as long as he lives all the way through to 67 or past the seven years, then that £100,000 is, is is free of any inheritance tax and it's, an out, it's, it's then, you know, becomes a total gift. So gifting, I think, is a very uh, good one to use. If they're a bit younger, Spencer, one of the things that we do quite a lot of work at in is gifting out of excess income. Um, I'm trying not to be complicated, but mm-hmm. I want to try and also cover all the bases. So you mentioned that his income, I think we were saying three or 400,000 pounds, pounds a yeah. year. Now, of course, if he's in the UK, they'll be taxed to pay on that. So mm-hmm. it becomes a little bit more difficult. But let's say £50,000 was excess income. In other words, he didn't need that to for him and his wife to live the life in which they lived. Well, he could gift that immediately to, um, uh, let's say, a trust, and it would be immediately outside of his estate because it would be a gift out of excess income. Because this is where it starts getting complicated, right? You have all these rules that build up, and then you know that's why you almost need this financial advice. But so we've got, uh, so far we've done wills, uh, we've done uh, gifts, um, pets, and then we've got gifts out of excess income. So those are some other points. Of course, in the UK, you've also got pensions. Now, pensions are trusts, and any money in a pension is free of inheritance tax as well. Pensions are controversial at the moment, or certainly have been in the past few years, ever since Gordon Brown raided pension uh, pensions and the allowance started to come down. Um, it's been a difficult world to be in. But nonetheless, a pension is free of inheritance tax. So anybody that has their money in a UK pension has no inheritance tax. What about a UK company pension? Uh, and also a UK company pension, that's free of inheritance tax. And what about a you're working for a company overseas and you have a company pension overseas? Yep, that should also be free of UK IHT. Okay, and a private pension overseas as well with something based in the Isle of Man, Channel Islands? Yep. Those those are typically called QROPs and QNUPs, um, as I know you know. Um, but, but, the, the listeners, but the listeners that, don't. So what does that the, stand for? Um, it's a good question. I can't actually remember. Qualifying uh, Recognised Overseas Pension Yeah, schemes. very good. That's okay. the one. And Qualifying um, Non-UK Pension Scheme, I think, yeah. from memory. But yeah, they're overseas pension schemes, essentially, and uh, they tend to be privately held. And again, those are free of UK inheritance tax. Okay. okay, we won't go into the pension rules because that's a, that's a oh, whole different yeah, yeah. discussion. <laughs> but there's pre and post age 75. But I'll just press pause Park on that. that bit, yeah. So pensions is another great way of passing assets on to um, to future beneficiaries um, and or the surviving spouse, i.e. Your, your husband or your wife or, or, or common partner. Um, next up is um, something I've refrained from mentioning the, because I don't want to make it promotion, but is life insurance. Okay. Um, and it's something that obviously I do with Capital for Life a lot. Um, it's our main business. So life insurance is something you can take out. It's an insurance policy. And there are a number of different ways those work. But essentially, you put an amount of money in, 
either in one go, or you can pay it over a number of years, or potentially for the rest of your life. And what that does is you're giving money to an insurance company, um, and the insurance company says, okay, in return for your investment or contribution into this policy, we will guarantee to pay you a lump sum of cash upon your death. So for example, um, again, it will depend on age and things like that, but you might be putting monthly contributions of a few hundred pounds or a few thousand pounds into something called a whole of life insurance policy, which as long as you carry on making those contributions within the terms and conditions, then upon your passing, uh, in, in a, I'm going to give you a quick example, let's say a million pounds will be paid out uh, in trust. Now, what's important about that is that life insurance policy, the cash that comes out of it can then be used to pay the inheritance tax bill that's left over after you've done this sort of planning, whether it's gifting money, gifts out of excess income, and some other things which we'll come on to. But it's, it's there and it's available as cash for the family uh, to pay the, the inheritance tax bill. So the example we had earlier was the property. Um, where do we get money from? Well, actually, one as well as borrowing money, which was kind of a kind of crisis management point, if we'd set up one of these life insurance policies and had paid out the cash upon your passing, then that cash could be used to pay the inheritance tax bill, and then the property would pass free um, of any ongoing liability to your to your to your wife or children. Um, so that's also worth worth considering. So, in essence, in simple terms. We've got this property. There's this huge tax liability on the property. We've set up this insurance policy, and that insurance policy is going to give the beneficiaries an amount of money when uh, the, the the I die in this example, or the person dies. The beneficiaries get this amount of money. They can use that because it's tax free to be able to pay off the inheritance tax. So you can actually essentially set up an insurance policy to cover your inheritance tax liability. So let's, yeah, let's say somebody's worth 100 million and they've got a 60 million tax liability. You can set up an insurance policy that covers the 60 million worth of tax liability anyway. That's right. Yes. And that can be done through a whole of life structure. That's right. So <clears throat> so one, one thing is the insurance policy itself. So we've been talking about whole of life. You can also get term insurance and that's just for a set period of time. It's not very good for inheritance tax because you're never quite sure when you're going to die, right? Right. So you set up <laughs> this. So you set up the insurance for 15 years and if you outlive that term, then it's a bit of waste of time. That's right. And and a waste of money. So okay. you, you would typically use whole of life, so it's going to last for the whole of your life, uh, and then that would pay out upon your passing. The next bit, and again, we're going to get a bit technical at this point, but that policy should come be... Come on, Carl. We've done a good job of keeping it quite simple. Come on, we can do it. We can do it. Come let's, on, guys. Let's encourage him. Let's try and keep it simple. So that policy should be what's called written in trust. In other words, it should be sitting in a trust which allows it to then pass to the family um, free of inheritance tax. Trusts can also be used for um, holding other assets as well. Um, now, as a UK domicile, the British national that's never going to lose their domicile and so on and so forth, trusts are complicated and they are difficult for us to manage um, because there's only so much we can get into trusts. But coming circling back around to the whole of life insurance policy, that should be written in trust. I've come across cases where it hasn't been written in trust. And what would happen if that person had died is then suddenly, that, let's say that um, million pounds would then be added to the estate of the person who was surviving. So you wouldn't, you'd no longer be worth, in our example, five million pounds, you'd now be worth six million pounds, because you hadn't dealt with the problem, you'd actually increase the, the, the estate. So 
using trust is very important. And then we move on to probably quite a lot of complexities about how you get money into trust. Mm-hmm. But we'll perhaps you want to... that for yeah. now. Yeah. Okay, so in simple terms, anybody that has assets in their family, husband and wife have assets above 650000 has a tax liability unless they structure something the right way. Yes, you have also got um, an allowance for your principal private residence as well. Okay. So you've got you've got some allowance for that. But coming back to your point earlier, you know, if you've got a million or one and a half million pound property, then it's going to go. It's going to be of some use, but it's certainly not going to deal with the entire problem. So you probably still want to make some kind of provision for this inheritance tax liability, or you want to mitigate it by giving assets away, or one of the other strategies we've talked about. How long have you been working on this? This 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 particular area and specialised in it. How many years? Um, particularly, probably, I've been doing financial services for over twenty five years now. Yeah. But specifically, uh, life insurance around fifteen years, and structuring probably particularly fifteen years. Okay. So in the last fifteen years, how many times have you sat down with people and said, and they've said to you, that won't apply to me. I, I, a number of times, and it, ten, it tends to be the clients who are living overseas and they think that they don't, uh, their assets in, let's say, in Dubai are not subject to UK inheritance tax. That's not that uncommon. Okay, so British expat living and working in mm-hmm. Dubai, they've got you know a couple of properties over there and various bits and pieces, bank accounts and stuff, and they're like, well, what's over here? Does it? That's no, yeah. no, there's no inheritance tax on this. That's right. And the other one linked to that is, oh, I'm I'm, I'm non-dom. No, you're non-resident, but you're still UK domicile. So your worldwide estate will still be subject to UK inheritance tax. Those are two very common areas I see. And there's a lot of confusion in the market about it. Let's talk about non-DOM for a second here. So I've been overseas for 30 years. I left in 1993. And so now we're 2023. I'm 30 years living and working overseas. Uh, My kids have been schooled in the UK. They have university in the UK, but I've lived and worked overseas all that time. I've been non-resident, never gone past my 90 days in any any of those years. Am I domiciled in the UK? Is it assumed that my domicile is somewhere else? How would I know? You won't know the answer until you explore a few more questions. So, What what questions do we need to ask? So the the questions we need to ask and that need answering, uh, not just a fudge, you don't have to answer them, but as in if we're testing domicile. So the, the most important thing to start with is where were you born? Essex. In the United Kingdom? Yes. Just in case people don't know that. <laughs> okay. I'm where, a proud Essex boy. Where was your father born? Nigeria. And where did he live for most of his life? So his first 10 years were in Nigeria as a boy, then into the UK, then overseas to Nigeria to work in the oil industry. So he was probably over there for 25 years, then moved back to the UK maybe 15, maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. And he's in the UK now. He's in the UK now. So he's probably, even if he was non-DOM, he's probably acquired a UK domicile of choice. I don't know how it works because he, even though he was born in Nigeria, his, his parents, my grandparents were missionaries in the Second World War. And so that's why they were over there. And so he lived there as a boy until they moved back to the UK. Yeah. So you would assume because his father, my grandfather, was a proud Yorkshireman. Um, so you would assume that the domicile is the UK for them. Assume, but I don't know. Sure. 
I so I think by the sounds of it, you know, you 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 know, um, your father, sorry, is uh, is UK domicile or has acquired a, a, a you know domicile of choice in the UK. Um, so anyway, back to you. So those are the first sort of ex- exploration points. And by the way, I'm, I should note it, I'm not a tax advisor, so we'd always work with a tax advisor on this particular area. But here are some, these are some of the basic points. Um, next one is, um, so what are your ties to the UK? Uh, obviously, your children are here, but your wife is in Dubai with you. Correct. Okay. Um, we should have asked this question earlier. Is, is Do you have a mixed domicile marriage? In other words, is your wife... Yes, my uh, wife is from Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan, okay. So she, she, yeah, so she has an Uzbekistan passport and there's no inheritance tax in Uzbekistan, we've found out. Okay. Um, yeah, that's potentially helpful. So now you're in a mixed domicile marriage, so you've got other complications. And it comes all the way back to your point. It is such a complicated area. Uh, and actually, I don't think, you know, with respect to you, you're not that unusual. You know, you're, 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 you, you know, you've married a, if you, if you like, if you don't mind me saying so, a, a foreign national, a foreign wife, or not a UK domicile wife, and now you've got a different problem. You've got you're a UK domicile, potentially, potentially, <laughs> pause, um, and then you've got a you've got a wife who's non-domicile. Mm-hmm. So now any assets that pass between you, as in husband and wife, are now subject to uh, a seven-year potentially exempt transfer. So if you pass, let's say, a million pounds to your wife in broad terms, if you pass a million pounds and then you pass away the following year, well, that's a pet. So if you're a UK domicile, that comes into your estate for taxable purposes. Wow. It's it's really complicated in terms of that type of planning. And as you're saying it, I'm thinking about the, the, the kind of like the close community of friends that we have. Mm. Um, one of my close friends is... Iranian, but went to the UK when he was young, was studied at Oxford, uh, has a British passport and an Iranian passport, and is married to a, a lady from Taiwan. My other friend is German and is married to a woman from Estonia. Um, and so when you talk about, you know, my, my other friend is British and he's married to an Iranian. So you're right, is it, just within my environment, there's lots of that. One of my best friends is British and married to a Canadian. So it's not like it has to be in anything in particular. So when you've got two domiciles, two nationalities, you've got way more complications than you would imagine. And what's interesting around this kind of stuff is the questions that are asked. Where do you think you'll retire? I like mm-hmm. that one. Yes. And then it's like, you know, you've got my wife, my wife and I have two completely different ideas of where we're going to retire. You know, there's no way in the world that we would both think of the same place. So how would we know? You know, where do you think you'll retire? So like, who knows? That's right. Like, really, who knows? You know, I've lived in 10 different countries. She's lived in five countries. We're international people. Who knows? She has a grandmother that's still alive that her parents look after, but when her parents become elderly, what what's going to happen to them? She has a brother, and, you know, who's going to spend time with them? In their culture, you look after your family when they're old, like the Arab culture, yeah. okay? In our culture, my mum and dad, well, my mum and my stepfather live in Cyprus. My dad and my stepmom live in Newcastle. They're in their late 70s. What, what do I go live in Cyprus? That might be a decision we make. Who knows? That's right. So when you're asking questions around that kind of stuff, it's lots of unknowns. But there, then there's lots of certainties. Tax is a certainty. Death is a certainty. Okay, death is a certainty. <laughs> death and taxes. And these are certainties. Mm. And, the, and we seem to be oblivious to that part. Now, can we answer some of these questions? Maybe not. We can do our best and give it a good shot. But who knows? You know, my eldest daughter's probably going to come and live in Dubai. 
that complicates things even more because if she builds her career over in Dubai, maybe we stay in Dubai even longer. Who knows? Okay. And I just think these these are all good examples when, when we discuss this for people to understand because it's not all vanilla. It's not all, you know, George and Mildred, you know, one's from West London, one's from East London. They met, they married, they've got 2.4 kids, half a Labrador. They've got a house that's in the UK where they're going to retire back to in Bognor Regis when they get old. It's just not all vanilla, is it? No. No, we, li- we live in a, you know, that, that whole globalisation thing, It's it, we've got globalisation of marriage, um, marriages and, and partnerships, of course. Um, and there is far more, like you, I haven't got as many friends uh, as you have, full stop, I haven't got as many friends as you have in terms of mixed domicile marriages, but but they're, they're, we have got friends who are in mixed domicile marriages, and you start, you know, you start talking to them, you know, over a pint of beer or whatever it may be, or a cup of coffee, and it starts getting complicated, like we found this morning. You know, it, it's it's not an easy answer to 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 trot out quickly. It isn't, but the problem is when I have these conversations with these people, they have some certainty around it not applying to them with no expertise. Mm. So they have this kind of like, you know, it's like the certainty that a, a football fan will have that their team's going to beat another team. It's like, no, 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 definitely it's going to happen. You know, Man United are going to beat Man City in the FA Cup. No, oh, I'm sure about it. It's like, well, how do you know? But people, when it comes to this kind of stuff, number one, the subject's not talked about an awful lot. People don't discuss that. They might discuss, I bought Apple stock. Yeah. But they don't discuss inheritance tax and planning and protecting assets. But, but also, they, because they just don't think things apply to them when they don't know what it means. And that, for me, is really scary. Or, or they, or they just don't want to think about it as well. And I come back to my point about the t- the taboo. It's like, oh well, you know, you, we'll, we'll we'll push it off for another day. We'll we'll worry about that later. How old? They're, they're, how, oh, hold on. There's the thing. How old are you? Oh, I can't say that. Tell on me, there. Well, roughly fifty-two. <laughs> okay, well I'm fifty-three, so I'm just fifty-three. Same age as each other. Yeah. Okay. This is one of the problems. Yeah. I feel <laughs> 30, 35. Yes. You know, I still think I've got it. <laughs> you look 45. I still, there you go. I've got that compliment coming too. <laughs> I still think I've got it. And um, I don't feel old. So, and then you take, my, you know, one of my really close friends, he's 63. Okay. He feels as young as he did when he was in his 30s. Another friend is 65. He doesn't feel old. And so, you because you're not feeling old, you might get a few more aches and pains when you go to the gym and run and whatnot, but you don't feel old. So maybe that's why people push it to the back of their minds. I, I like the idea, but I think it's an excuse. I, I think it, it, it's, it's, it's around, it's either a taboo or they don't want to talk about it personally with other friends, or it's complicated, as we've talk, talked about today. Um, or they don't trust their financial advisor, or maybe actually their financial advisor is not as clued up as they could be on the subject, or they don't want to pay for some tax advice because I think we just need to take some advice. I think the most important thing is, is it is it is really to get started. You can do some of the basics, um, and it is really, really important to do some of the basics. I come back to the point, um, my amazing late mother, she didn't leave a will because she um, she she had a taboo about it, and it caused my father and me some complications. It's absolutely fine. But there's only one of me, and there was only obviously one of my dad. Um, well, not necessarily obviously, but it was. It, it was. It, we could sort it out amongst ourselves, and you know, he was a bright guy, and you know, I was. I was okay as well <laughs> at this at this subject. But the point is, you don't want to leave a mess for the family, really, because if you if you ask, if I ask you this question, so um, I'm just going to ask it: Have you done any inheritance tax planning? Yeah. Okay. So. 
why have you done that? I presume you've done that because you want to make sure that your wife and children don't have a mess or because actually you're also in financial services so you understand mm-hmm. quite a lot about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- that's the right reason. It's just like not wanting my family to be burdened with this. Yeah. So yeah. so let's get on and do it, right? Mm-hmm. Let let let's take some at least the basic steps. Even though we, you know you're right, we feel look, we, we look great as well. By the way, uh, I know we're on a podcast, but we look <laughs> no, great no, as well. We're on camera, so. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't. You're right. We don't feel old. But let's at least do some basic steps. Make sure we've done the will. Make sure you know uh, we've you know uh, we've gifted assets, or we've got a life policy, or you know we're thinking about this sort of stuff. Let's at least engage on the subject, because all the way back to the top of the conversation, there is no need for us to pay any more inheritance tax than we need to if we've planned well. And secondly, there's no need to leave a pile of mess for our family, our dearest and nearest. In most cases, our dearest and nearest will have the mess to sort out if we don't deal with it. So just let's just encourage people to at least take the first steps. Um, even if that conversation takes, you know, uh, you know, several months or a year, at least let's start. My dad, my, my step, my stepmother, her parents died in a, tragically in a car accident together in Spain, mm. and my dad went out to the house in Spain to go and find um, and, and get to an understanding of what they had basically. So he knew he knew he knew that they had the house, and you remember we used to have bureaus. Like that old wooden cabinet. Yes, you sit in someone's I've, study. I've still got one. You've which got was, one, which was inherited. Um, good segue. Inherited from my wife's um, grandfather. Okay. So we have a bureau outside my office at the bottom of the stairs. That's right. You pull out the little things, yeah. and down comes the trunk. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they had one of these these beautiful bureaus, and inside, my dad found twenty seven different investments. Now, some of them were a thousand, some of them were two thousand, some of them were ten thousand, but there was literally all these papers, all in a mess, all chaotic, and he just sat there and he's like, "Where do you start with that?" Mm. It's like, "What is it? What are they worth? What have they got?" And these policies, some of them had been in place for like thirty, forty years, some premium bonds and some different bits and pieces. You know, how do we establish what they're worth? And it's like that could have been dealt with so much easier. You know, people could have had that kind of stuff. Now, sadly, they died in a car accident, so it's quite tragic. They died at the same time. But people don't pay attention to that kind of stuff, do they? They don't sit down and say, oh, I better make sure that everyone knows. You know, I bought that holiday home in Portugal. <laughs> Does everyone know that I bought the holiday home in Portugal? I bought the one bed, that flat that I bought in Liverpool, and that one I used as a buy-to-let. It's like, does it, you know, where do people know about that? Yeah. And that that... Then you've got the other bit that goes into the equation, haven't you? The bit about men fearing women taking their assets in a divorce. <laughs> and we saw that with cryptocurrency about 12 months ago. A guy had put a load of money in Bitcoin into a hard wallet and tried to keep it out of the prying eyes of the, uh, of the wife, um, only for a forensic accountant to find it. I didn't. I didn't want to bring that up, but you're, you're absolutely right. There, there is the whole um, trust between um, you know partners, basically. You know, it, and yeah, there's still lots of mistrust in in many in many partnerships or many marriages. Um, it, and that's a big, really big deal. That's probably one of the biggest. Well, I'll do a minute though because I've got a bit of an issue from the flip side. So my first marriage, I think my ex-wife had a fair share out of me, but in my second marriage, my 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 wife, her family are very wealthy, and so. I, I I need to make sure that I'm included in this, don't I, when they die? <laughs> I haven't thought that. She's kept that all very separate. <laughs> That's right. Well, then then, then we're, uh, and this is definitely not my area, but then we're into sort of prenups and postnups uh, agreements. <laughs> but um, 
but yeah, no, the, the the most important thing is do is do some do some basic planning. Just at least let's have the conversation with our family. So the the reality is that the, lots of this stuff can be solved. There's practical ways of, of doing it. We've gone through a couple of examples right now today. When it comes to your financial planning, you need to bulletproof yourself. It's as simple as that. You need to make sure that you cross the T's, you dot the I's, you understand if you want your kids to go to university, you understand how much it's going to cost and what you've got to save to get there. If you want to retire at 65 and you want to have a certain income, you've got to know how much you need to save, what it's going to be worth so that you can get there. It's really quite simple when you're clear on what the goals are. If you don't want your family to pay inheritance tax, you need to get the advice and then take the steps that are required to mitigate the inheritance tax liability. It can all be done relatively easily. If your financial advisor can't solve those problems for you, you're not dealing with the right financial advisor, clearly. Totally, totally agree with that. Um, and that that was as you were as you were saying those words before you got to the conclusion that was exactly my thoughts the financial your financial advisor should be starting out with talking to you about your goals um getting those set down and and they they don't have to be rigid right those goals can move but understanding your goals understanding what you're trying to achieve um talking to you about cash flows and you know uh, this that and the other and bring that all into a plan and then executing something. Don't start by executing something. Start with the plan. Why, why are you going to execute something? Um, and you, know, you and I know that there's good financial planners out there which will do all of that uh, holistic planning. It is very important. Set out the goals, set out the cash flows. Wh wh where are you trying to get to? Because then you've got the roadmap into which you then execute certain products and solutions and so on and so forth. On a side note, <coughs> Financial planners don't deal with two asset classes. One is property. Invariably, an estate agent will deal with property. And secondarily, uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. So they're, they're, they're kind of segmented away from that area. Is it important that your financial advisor is working with your estate agent and your crypto advisor to make sure that everyone is together and aligned with what we're doing? I think so. But I might not go that far. I might go just as far as being aware of what your cryptocurrency is worth and what your property is worth and what your intentions are. Um, you know, we don't necessarily have to phone up the estate agent and find out, you know, um, you know what the property is valued at this precise second, but a rough idea of that cost, um, plus minus any debt, um, which is deductible for IHT on uh, when you take out the debt on the property in the first place. And... Just being just being aware of that, you know, is it your intention to go and buy another fourteen properties or <laughs> two properties, whatever it may be? Having that knowledge is 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 the most important, you know. And and whether your cryptocurrency is worth four grand or four million is obviously a, a, a big differentiator as well. Mm, good point. Okay, so if you are looking at getting your finances organized and you think there may be some gaps there based upon what Carlton has said this morning, then really do stop. Take account, get hold of your financial advisor, have a conversation with them. If they can't do what you need them to do, then call me. No, I'm only joking. Call Carlton and we'll see what we can do to give you some ideas and some advice or point you in the right direction for sure. Okay, Carlton, thank you so much for coming to join us on the show today. It's been great chatting to you. See, you're like a podcast genius. You know how to do it. You're comfortable. You're confident. Walk in the park. Maybe that's five years of radio before I started this. <laughs> Maybe it's that. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me.